Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good, Bruce. The Oilers are in first place in the Western Conference. We are now at American Thanksgiving, I believe. I'm not exactly sure what day that is. but uh, next just... Thursday, I think it is. Yeah, that's late. It is. Yeah, it, it just depends where in the week it falls in the calendar. And I think next Thursday is the 28th. It's the fourth Thursday in November, so the 28th is the latest it can be. Wow. Uh, first I know old... these things because they're unimportant. <laughs> well, I didn't even know the Grey Cup game was today until you told me. Um, oh. And then, uh, so, yeah, a big win in kind of a, a typical, sketchy, weird kind of game against the Arizona Coyotes where it's just kind of confusing about what's going on because the play is always so fractured and full of incidents. And But nonetheless, Bruce, a huge, huge win for the Oilers. Um, things are going well for this team right now. And they are, they, are, they, they are a good team. Take those two points and get the heck out of Dodge. Uh, but that's two points that maybe a less good team just wouldn't have got either point out of that game. How many times have we seen the Oilers get frustrated by the Coyotes and fail to mount something in the third period? And uh, This is twice now this year that the Oilers have been down to Arizona in the dying minutes, and both times they manufactured a tying goal out of a depth line. It was Gaetan Haas who tipped home the tying goal in Edmonton. That game they lost in uh, overtime, but in the end they won with three points, one from that game and two from tonight after uh, Marcus Granlund, new scoring hero for Edmonton, uh, managed to tie it up, and then they were able to to extend it to the shootout and put it away, and they... Uh, uh, put it away in the uh, uh, gimmick time. Go to the net and good things happen, right? That's what every minor well, hockey coach tells their players, and that's exactly what happened with Grandlin on that play. Yeah, well, then, what do you know? Sometimes the other team's goalie makes a mistake in clutch time, and that's what happened there. Kemper was good in this game, but uh, I don't think he'd be very happy with that rebound, and uh, it was a crucial play, and Grandlin buried the, the second opportunity. So, Bruce, this is our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast, as is our recent custom. We're going to go with two good things each, at least when it merits it on the orders. Well, we won't always do it. but uh, So, um, I'll start with my first good thing was Nico Koskin and Bruce. And when the, when the Oilers were behind in the third period, uh, down a goal in the third period, Colorado, excuse me, Arizona had two absolutely uh, grand chances to score and uh the first one is kind of a pucks thrown at net it bounces out into the slot and uh, grabner just fires it at net and koskin and makes the save and uh, the second one um we have uh connor garland is that his name connor garland he he comes in there um, and just absolutely, who did he go? What was I just trying to think of the play again? Who did he go around there? We got it marked uh, down here. Yeah, I sure do. Uh, it's not there. Let me see. It was one here. guy. Yeah, it was a club bomb that got beat, and Jones that got beat on that play. Oh yeah. Okay. I'm just anyway. It the key thing was the shot on the play, mm-hmm. and uh, save was the key thing. Yeah, the, the, the both. Um, so, yeah, Ga- oh, now I remember the play. Gagne, Gagne loses the puck at center ice, 
and um, Jones is unable to, puck comes down the side and the puck gets passed into the middle. Jones can't stop the pass and Clefbaum's um, not there for whatever reason. Something might have happened, but anyway, he wasn't there to cover Garland and Garland just fires a great shot. That was the save of the game. Um, and what a save by Koskinen. Two fantastic saves. It's funny, on the first sequence with Grabner, I think Ethan Bear took the rebound. Like, there was a rebound there, and it looked to me like Bear absolutely hammered the rebound right into Koskinen to, to stop the play, too. I don't know if you noticed that. But um, So maybe there was three saves there. But I think if, if it was Bear, cool-handed Ethan Bear, you know that he's putting it into a safe place in Koskinen to smother the playoff. But And then uh, shootout. All three saves, Koskinen makes all three saves. I mean, I can remember some shootouts last year where he just looked like, like, what is he doing in that? He was so bad in the shootout. He looked so discombobulated. But he just, man, he is playing smothering goalie right now. He is he is playing really, really well. And every time he's net, I don't know how you feel about it, Bruce, but I just feel confident. I feel very confident. I, to me, he's been the better of the two goalies and certainly the more consistent. And he's... Uh, uh, he's a tower power in there in my eyes. And, and uh, uh, I mean, in the shootout, uh, the first two were officially recorded as misses, but he didn't give those guys a whole lot to shoot at. And, I mean, the one guy made a really good move to the backhand side and Koskinen went with him and basically Garland. took the net away. That was Garland. Yeah. And then the last one, Vinny Henestroza, who's a pain in the side for Oilers generally, uh, he tried to do the exact same thing that McDavid did on the one shootout play that did go in the net with a series of deft little stick handles. And then he tried to open up Koskinen and stiffed it in through the five hole, just like McDavid had done. But for one thing, Vinny Hinnestros' defty little stick handlers are nowhere near as defty as Connor McDavid, who's an incredible stick handler. And uh, secondly, Koskinen sealed that 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 hole and he sealed the deal that was a, that was a big tough save that he made to finish that shootout off and uh good to see and uh, good to see his reaction man he's playing to win and you can see that and uh and uh you know all all of the uh, a lot of the stats analyzers and especially the fancy stat buffs uh poo poo goalie wins as a stat but if you ask any goalie worth his salt What's most important to him? He'll say getting the win. Of course, all <laughs> the out, out players will say the same thing too, and they don't get credit for the win, which is what the problem is with yeah. the stat. But the, you know, the goalie's playing that game to win it, and he won it, and he was happy about it. And I love to see that. Was it Yerry Curry who recommended Koskinen to the Oilers? I mean, That's probably among other, among other people. Yerry Curry knows a thing about thing or two about goalies. I think, having beat them on a regular basis. <laughs> um, so Bruce. Your good thing. Uh, my first good thing. I got to go with Sam Gagne tonight, an old, uh, old favorite, an old whipping boy also uh, from years back. Uh, and he was called into emergency service after three games in the press box uh, to not only come down into the lineup, but to come down into the specific role that he used to play for years, two C, where he filled in uh, more than ably. For an ailing Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who uh, has a hand injury that's going to keep him out for a couple games. And this is where having depth in the lineup is just so important, right? Because you think, here are the Oilers basically with the first line doing a lot of the damage, and the second line is Nuge, and they cast the thousands after that. No, Nuge, things are looking pretty dire. But Gagne came down, and he did the job. And, you know, he did it 
with skill, and he did it with determination. And he played a hard battling game. He won a lot of battles. He went right to, he decked Darcy Kemper one time when he went right through the blue paint. I was a little surprised he got away with that one, but uh, he was playing for keeps and uh, uh, earned an assist, nice assist on the uh, Alex Chase song goal when he recovered a, you know, a deflected pass that bounced back to him and he made no, uh, wasted no time in feeding the trailer Alex Chase on and he wasted no time putting it home. That was a well-earned goal for that line, you know, because they absolutely dominated the uh, the shot shares. I think when Ganya was on the ice, the shots were 11 for the Oilers and three for Arizona. Like they really dominated play. Yeah, and, and it's they, earned their, sl- they earned their they earned three kind of slower players, Bruce too. Mm-hmm. Three veterans, eh? Like Chase on Neil and uh, and Gagne. and I think Bruce that Sam Gagne is a better player in this uh, incarnation with the orders than he were, was the first time around. Because the first time around, I, maybe he had a bit more offensive game, but his defensive game was terrible. I mean, he, he really was one of the worst defensive players in the NHL right now. And now, I don't I have no qualms about him on defense. Like, I'm not sure center on defense, but certainly on the wing. And he's a smart player now. Like I, I just, everything he does on the ice seems smart, and he, he really plays hard. I like Sam Gagne, and I think he should be in the lineup most nights, honestly. Um, well, he's playing for his job player. and he was playing for it tonight and it was good to see and it was good to see him get rewarded for it and I mean he's at that stage in his career that surely he knows he's getting nearer the end of the line and he's got to do whatever he can to claw and battle and so he's not just he's not just relying on his uh, high end vision and uh, and skill play but uh, he's uh, he's engaging in the in the battle and the um, and like I say, he won his share of them tonight and then some. Certainly so. got good hands still. So we're, my second good thing, Bruce, would be Dave Tippett's overtime strategy. And, and so Dave Tippett's been in the NHL this, well, he, he's been through overtime a lot. But, you know, overtime, the, the strategies are constantly changing, I believe, in the, in the NHL of how to deal with this. And he, I think there was two wrinkles tonight that, if I'm not mistaken, were the first time we've seen from Tippett. The first one, has he called a timeout before to rest McDavid and Drysaddle? If not, why not? But, but of, of course, better well, late than never. No whistles. Yeah, well, that's that's often the case, isn't there? There's often no whistles. But I can't recall, have we ever seen an Oilers coach call a timeout to get McDavid think and so. Drysaddle? And, but not for a, a breather. I don't think it's a common strategy when it should be like, Every time there's a face-off, you should call your timeout, give those guys a breather, put them back out there. That should be the strategy, like just without thinking, kind of like the rote play, you do it every time. He did it, so anyway, he did that. I like that. Plus then, uh, you know, the orders are a little short on fast forwards. And I guess Dave Tippett didn't want to listen to the Cult of Hockey podcast, as I'm sure he always does, and hear me complaining about James Neal on the ice in overtime again. So he instead did this very smart thing, Bruce. And he put out Ethan Bear and Darnell Nurse. And mm-hmm. that was really, really good. Both of those players can skate. Both can fly. He had Sam Gagne out there, who's not a fast player, but he's really smart. And it, he can get around okay enough. So I liked I liked that as well. Like the two defensemen, and I think we saw it again later. can't remember who the two were later, but I think we saw maybe Clefbaum and Nurse at the same time, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it was a bit of a fracture play that was right at the end of the game when Drysaddle couldn't get off the ice. But after um, he got tripped, and nobody noticed. Yeah, after he got tripped. But I both those strategies, 
you know, especially when you don't have R and H. But I think I'd love to see R and H bear the same and thing nurse. with R and H. I mean, Kanye was in the, you know, he was the R and H surrogate, and I think, like, it makes sense. I think because our they have better defensive coverage there, uh, with two actual experienced defensemen. But also, I mean, if you're just sort of looking for pure skill, and who are your six best players that are able to cover the ice and skate? But also do stuff with the puck and dart into holes and and try and create things offensively. I got no problem with either Ethan Bear or Darnell Nurse or both of them together in an overtime scenario. I didn't mind well, they, that at all. They both had really good chances, their opportunities. Yes, Nurse especially, and Bear yes. came charging in on the net, and that was mm-hmm. that was fantastic. So I I really like that. That's my second good thing. What is your second good thing? Oh. Uh, what was my second good thing? I had something. Uh, uh, rats. Uh, <laughs> I had it all picked out, too. Oh, well. Uh, we had... Uh, sorry, David. Sorry, folks. Usually, maybe I should write it down next time. But uh, I guess we're going to... Uh, uh, well, I'm going to ad-lib, and I'm going to go with Connor McDavid's post-game interview. <laughs> <laughs> When he, when he said that uh, uh, he was asked about uh, what he was thinking when uh, and he came in on the shootout. Was he, was he planning to go five-hole? Did he have it up his sleeve the whole time? And the very first thing he says was, oh, I'm not going to reveal my thought processes. <laughs> and he kept an absolute <laughs> deadpan, straight face. You know, he just sort of answered the question as much as he was going to. He said, I tried to open up a hole, and when I, when I saw one, I was going to put the puck there. And then he did just sort of looked at the guy deadpan and that was that so that your was, second good uh, thing was ethan bear as i recall ah yes okay thank you well, uh, we were already yes. we were just raving about him so that's what yeah. confused you you were oh, right, yes you know, like, ethan bear yeah. and his offensive confidence which tonight showed up with him several times in the slot with the puck firing it on net uh one early in the game which i thought was a good one-time shot that i personally thought was a great a scoring chance we'll we can debate that uh but it was a very good play where he was in good and he fired it like because it was a one-timer i thought it was a good chance and then in the third period with the game in the line time and again he was there he had one chance that was just tipped into the netting then another one where he dangled a guy out of his skates and uh, got a good shot away. And I, I don't think he made the shot that he wanted, but the move he made to set up the shot was just dandy. And then in the overtime, that play you already referenced where he barged right to the net front and crashed into the whole scene in the blue paint with three guys all going down, including the goalie. And uh, just aggressive offensive play. And he's starting to think goals. And he is a goal scorer. Like, he scored goals in junior. And he's now got four goals uh, for Edmonton, which doesn't sound like a lot, but you know when you add up all the defenseman goals on the team, you got four from Bear, one from Clefbaum, one from Brandon Manning of all people, and two from Nurse. So eight for the team of which the rookie Ethan Bear has half. So he, we, he's we, thinking goals. He's thinking scoring, not just passing, but scoring. You know it. It was funny, like all these years watching him, well, all these years, two years, whatever it was, watching him in Bakersfield, We, I never saw that kind of offensive confidence from Ethan Bear. Like, he was he was a good player at the AHL level, uh, but like, like that toe drag move, um, the aggressiveness on the attack, he's a, he, it is the, 
the most remarkable transformation in one year I've seen of a hockey player. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of an Oilers player, Bruce, that I've ever seen. Now, of course, we didn't watch the farm team in the old days, right? So we right. weren't as aware. But you know, maybe this happened to, like to Charlie Huddy. I don't know, but um, remarkable. Well, here's Paris. Uh, he played four years in Seattle, and he went from six goals to thirteen to nineteen to twenty-eight. There you go. Like every year, a significant improvement in actual goals scored uh, than he had in uh, in previous years. So he's, uh, you know, he does think like a goal scorer. I, I watched him play in junior on the terrific power play they had there in uh, Seattle when the when he won defenseman of the year in the WHL and they won the they won the league and went to the Memorial Cup. He was a huge part of that. And I'm just loving his uh, uh, his what the, what they call I, I don't love this expression, but it's it's a common one these days. Hockey IQ, just his smarts, uh, his within the game, his ability to make very fast decisions and good right decisions a very large percentage of the time of where is the safe play, place to move this puck, where is the most aggressive way to advance this puck. And uh, I'm really liking what I've, I'm seeing. And, you know, all, the, all these years now I've been hoping that one of these times, one of the player that I've sort of coveted on another team for a long time is Jared Spurgeon of the Minnesota uh, Wild, uh, a local fellow who sort of slipped through the cracks and he made it into Minnesota. And all he did, right shot, small uh, puck moving defense, and all he did was get better and better and better. And you think, what's this guy doing in the top four? And after a few years, you go, well, he's in the top four. He's one of the best defensemen in the league. And I'm seeing that type of player, uh, at least to some extent, in, in Ethan Bear, just just uh, a, a guy who moves the puck and plays with uh, smarts and confidence and, and uh, uh, chips in way more than you think he would based on, you know, what he, you know, in terms of his size and, you know, his overall sort of he doesn't have dominating skills but get that puck moving and uh, watch him play. My bad thing, Bruce, is just just one plan. I'm not going to make a lot of it because we, we complain about the refs a lot, but come on. Oh, that God, was hold, holding. That was holding. On. <laughs> come on. You think? What is, what is hold, if that's not holding, there's two refs on the ice. There's a high guy and a low guy. Can't the high guy who's at the blue line take a look over there and say, you're holding his leg. It's a penalty. And to make matters worse, of course. If you hold it for more than 10 seconds, we're going to call you next time. We tell you, you know, don't, you're going to have to let go after less. It's like I called it uh, in the player grades. I referred to it as steer wrestling. And I think there's no there's no rule in the books against steer wrestling. So that's why they had to let it go. Maybe they maybe they both had their eyes somewhere else. I don't know. Like, But come on. That was, I've, that's... Got a, I've got a candidate location for where their heads were. <laughs> uh yeah I, I i on that same play you could also kind of single out cassian and dry defense for being not that good either but well, the guy, uh, he came from nowhere because he was yeah. out, he was in the neutral zone on the boards for those five, on five or eight or 25 yeah. seconds or however long he was holding on to mcdavid <laughs> and then he pops in out of nowhere and the guy made a really good pass from behind the net like he reversed it out the short side and fisher the uh, culprit who got away with the the hold 
uh, lashed home a great shot. Like he certainly took advantage of his opportunity. But it, it's a, I was I was irrationally angry after that goal, and I remained angry uh, after the next goal a minute and a half later, uh, when my bad thing Yokim uh, uh, Nigard got uh, got helped into his own crease with a little kind of shot from behind by uh, 21 uh, Derek Stepan, who pushed off on uh, Nigar and sent him into the crease where he was, he couldn't have been more in the way of Koskinen if he tried. He blocked his view. He took his face away from where he could set up for the shot. Koskinen couldn't even see the puck coming, and of course it hits him and bounces into the net. Uh, <clears throat> that was... Again, one of those sort of veteran fouls that Arizona, like I saw about eight pick plays in where an Edmonton forward got picked deep in Arizona territory as they were breaking up with the puck. And that guy would get trapped and Arizona would get an odd man rush through the neutral zone. And it was it was happening all game. But Negard, uh, he took uh, a kind of iffy penalty himself for slashing that resulted in the 1-1 goal. So he was in the box for one goal and he was in the blue paint for another and all that in about seven minutes and 38 seconds, which made him the uh, least used Oilers regular tonight and implicated on two goals against. So that's a pretty tough night for uh, Joachim Nigard. And he really didn't get much going the other way. I like the player. I just didn't like his game tonight. Yeah, I, I didn't. The Stepan play, I thought, was pretty incidental. Like it was not like uh, he wasn't trying to push him into the goalie necessarily. He was trying to bump him on purpose, but just worked out extremely badly for the Edmonton Oilers. So, Bruce, we'll move on now to our numbers. And my number will be 29, which just leapt off the page at me. (laughs) Number 29, eh? Yeah, Leon Dreisaitl's time on ice that game. Uh, 29 minutes. Wow, that's... Now, now they played a lot of that in overtime, right? But... uh, Pretty amazing. He played. He played. He and McDavid and Cassian all played the last one minute and thirty-seven seconds of regulation time. They had a long, long shift down the stretch, and they kept the puck in Arizona territory and and uh, nearly made something happen. I thought, well, this is a fun strategy to wind your star players just before overtime, and yet despite that that finish, uh, Drysaddle played four minutes ten seconds in overtime, and McDavid in even four minutes out of the five. Dreisaitl was so tired. It finally caught up to him on the shootout, Bruce. He was so all he could do was come in and slap the puck as hard as he could at the net. He, he just couldn't a, must. He couldn't lift his arms anymore. His. He's done that before. He, I know. He, yeah. He won a game, the Sedin retirement game. I was at that game, and, and Dreisaitl won it on a slap shot in the shootout. You don't see it very often, but it's that, you know, not Kemp, a terrible play. Kemper made a great save there. Leon did not miss with that shot. It's how uh, Johan Nieskens used to take penalties in uh, world football. He was a famous player for the Dutch team. Uh, what is your number, Bruce? Well, I kind of got two numbers, but let, let's start with 116, which is now the Oilers have 16 wins. Uh, and the other number is 34, which is the number of years since the last time the Oilers had 16 wins at this stage of the season through 26 games. That was the phenomenal 1985-86 campaign. Uh Wow. The year the orders didn't win in the playoffs, but uh, they they were in record smashing mode throughout the season. That was the year Paul Coffey scored 48 goals, and uh, uh, the orders were uh, were just filling the net. They won the President's Trophy, 
And through 26 games that year, they were 18-4-4. and And that was the last time they were better than this year's 16-7-3. Now, mind you, we've had some change, obviously a big change in the way points are awarded, where they've got two shootout wins that they would not have earned that year. So And overtime. Yeah. Yeah. So presumably, let's take that 18-4-4 and and say, well, they probably would have won at least two of the four overtime games one way or, or another. They might even won three of them. Uh, but uh, from that year to this, they've never had a, they've never had a start uh, as as strong as this. I mentioned it early in the broadcast. Well, holy moly, they're right. And uh, yeah, Bruce, six, they would 16, have won seven and three. Bruce, they would have had Curry, Coffee, and Gretzky. Three they would have won every game. <laughs> <laughs> they would have won every game in overtime. Three on three overtime would have been something, right? Yeah, well, just as soon as you said that, it popped in my head: Curry, Coffee, and Gretzky. And then you put out Messier, Anderson, and probably what Huddy, I guess. You know, yep. you're going to win a lot of games in overtime. <laughs> it's not going to be very pretty in overtime. Remember, because they had to get rid of the four on four. They had to to to, to you know. Yeah, they didn't have to, the but they they, 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 they finagled they the rules. Because, yeah, because the Oilers were going to be so dumb. They were so dominant in four-on-four play. So anyway, that that was a very sweet thought to pop in my head all of a sudden. I wish I'd seen that. I wish I'd seen that. That would have been <laughs> a lot of fun. I'd like to see uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl against Gretzky. And uh, I think, I don't know if any overtime would have gone more than one minute. If you had McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Clefbaum against Coffee Curry, and uh, Gretzky, we, the, if the overtime goes more than a minute, the, the goaltenders are standing on their heads, you know, every 15 seconds. But uh, that would have, that would be fun to see. Alrighty, are we? I think we're done. You've got your game grades posted. I do, I do. I just need to add this uh, podcast in a minute here and uh, clean up probably a couple of typos because I uh, published when we were ready to go on air here, and it's not quite the hundred percent version, but. Uh, the 99% version is up. All right. Nothing wrong with 99 in Edmonton, Bruce. Yeah. All righty. More the 97% version. That's actually probably <laughs> a better yeah. better descriptor. Anyway, it's uh, uh, it's always more fun to cover a win, and uh, especially fun when they pull a win out of the out of the uh, uh, out of the hat. It looked like a losing situation in the late going, and uh, we'll take those uh, we'll take those two points and run all the way to Colorado. Yeah, you know what? It was karma that the Oilers won that, Bruce, uh, with the uh, holding on McDavid's leg there, you know, and the thing on Negard there, the two goals. There had to be some kind of response from that, and and the hockey gods stepped up to the plate. All right, thanks for talking tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>